book of Colossians. Colossians chapter number two. It is good to see you all here this morning. It's good to see the front rows filled up. I don't know, it somewhat offends me, but um, normally on Sundays, the only rows that are not filled up is the front rows, and so I I don't know how to take that, but um, I think I'll be all right. It is good. This is a very special day. I was just sitting in in my chair back there looking around and seeing the different people that are getting baptized this morning, and just thinking about how uh, much of a blessing it is to them, to their families, and obviously their friends. And you guys being here this morning is a testament to that, um, to that blessing. You're, really, you're a part of that blessing by being here. And so we really are thankful that you've decided to join us this morning. And uh, we're going to just talk a little bit. I'd, I'd, I want to share with you a little bit. I, don't have a, I, have, I have more time than I thought I was going to have. But I have no problem filling time. That's one of the things that I'm good at. And, um, but I wanted to just share with you a little bit about baptism as we prepare um, for the process. We're going to hear the different testimonies of the individuals that are going to be baptized. And um, then they're going to go through the process. But we want to make sure that everybody has a, um, somewhat of an understanding of why we do it the way that we do it. We don't, we don't do it like everybody else. Um, the Christian church does it a little bit differently than some other churches, and um, we want to really give you a biblical basis, um, foundation for which and by which we do um, baptism. So we had, I had you go to Colossians chapter number two, because I want to give you four thoughts this morning. And um, the first one is, what is the origin of baptism? Where does it, where does it come from? And um, the, Lord in the, the Lord in his word has made several covenants with his people uh, we think of the rainbow. When we see the rainbow, yesterday I think it was we were driving and we saw, my wife saw a slight rainbow somewhere. Um, but uh, the rainbow was one of those covenants that God gave. He said that he was no longer going to flood the earth with water. And so he gave this rainbow. And, and when he sees that rainbow in the sky, it's a reminder to him of his promise. It's a reminder to God of his promise not to flood the earth again. And it's a reminder to us as well that God's not going to flood the earth again as too. In addition to that, there are other covenants that God made. We go back to the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. And God made a covenant with, with Abraham, and he told him that he's going to make of him a great nation. And through him, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And those who bless the nation of Israel will be blessed, and those who curse the nation of Israel will be cursed. And God made this problem, promise to Abraham. And then he told Abraham, he said, I want you to circumcise all of the children that are born into the uh, Hebrew culture, born Jews. On the eighth day after they're born, I want you to circumcise them, and that's a sign of the covenant. Okay, So they would be circumcised on the eighth day, and it it would symbolize that they are a a part of God's people. We want to remember this. It didn't make them a part of God's people. As a matter of fact, it didn't change them um, really at all. It was a sign, a symbol of something that had happened to them. In the New Testament, we have a new covenant. And that covenant is the covenant of grace. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews that the Lord will place his law or his spirit into our hearts 
and he will remember our sins no more. And that's the covenant that we, as Christians, we live on today. That's the covenant that we trust in, the covenant that we depend upon. Not that we're, not that we're righteous, um, not that we're perfect, not that we're acceptable in God's eyes based upon our own merit, but what we trust in is we trust in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose again the third day, and in his resurrection, he has gifted to us, as a gift, his righteousness. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Right? Amen? We might become the righteousness of God. But remember this, it doesn't stop there. The last two words of that verse are, In him. We might become the righteousness of God. We want to become the righteousness of God. We want to be accepted by God, right? We become accepted by God, not through our own works or our own deeds, but we become acceptable by God by being in Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. The Bible says in Titus 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he has saved us. By the washing and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. So, so salvation, the work of salvation is something that the Lord performs, that we experience, we have in Christ Jesus. And he marks us. In the same way that he marked the people in the Old Testament by circumcision as Jews, he marks us in the New Testament as Christians by baptism. Okay? It's important to remember this as well because there is some confusion on when that should take place. Because in the Old Testament, they, baptized, they, they circumcised them on what day? On the eighth day after they were born. So there's some confusion as to the New Testament. When baptism comes, should we baptize them as, as infants? The biblical teaching, and we'll look at it, we'll get some, some references from Scripture to give us kind of a foundation for what the New Testament says. But here's what I want you to think about and meditate on, okay? They baptized, or they, they circumcised Jews on the eighth day to identify them as Jews, not to make them Jews, right? Okay? So we baptize to identify Christians, not to make Christians, right? We do believe in what's called infant baptism from this perspective. Infant believers should be baptized. Okay? Infant Christians. When, when you get saved, Paul got saved, and immediately when the scales fell from his eyes, he wanted to do what? He wanted to be baptized. And the Ethiopian eunuch, when he believed in the gospel, what did he want to do? He wanted to be baptized. So, so we have to understand, we have to meditate on the fact that Yes, we believe that new Christians should be baptized, should be identified as, as immediate as possible, should be identified with Christ. But we, but we, we want to be careful that we don't take that and, and make it mean that they are made Christians through baptism. Okay, we're going to look at some scriptures to, to help us with that. Colossians chapter number 2 First of all, the origin of baptism. Baptism is a um, originated with John the Baptist. It is a um, New Testament 
I don't want to call it a replacement because I'm not a replacement theology person, but, but in some ways, okay, in some way, shape, and form, it is a replacement of circumcision. The Jews were circumcised to identify them physically as Jews. Christians are baptized to identify them spiritually as Christians. Okay, one is very physical. Matter of fact, there are many Jews, according to Romans 9, who were circumcised physically but were not, were not even Christians. In other words, they were Jews by, by, their, by their upbringing. We've, we've got something going on on the speaker. Sorry, guys. Appreciate it. They'll get that figured out. They were, they were um, even though they were Jews and they were baptized physically, or not baptized, circumcised physically, to identify them as Jews, it didn't mean that they were saved. So while the, while the circumcision identified them as Jews, and again, according to Romans 9, there were some who were circumcised who were not even believers. Baptism identifies us as Christians, but it doesn't make us Christians. So, so let me give you real quickly, I'm going to go through four, four questions to answer these questions the best that I can and move on. Um, number one, what is the origin Second, uh, our Colossians chapter number 2, verse 11. The Bible says, In him also you have been circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So in these two verses, we see that connection between the idea of circumcision and the idea of baptism. So very likely, the uh, baptism in the New Testament was uh, a symbol of that covenant, where circumcision in the Old Testament was, a, was symbolic of the Old Testament covenant. And we, we don't see circumcision. Matter of fact, in Acts 15, there's this whole debate over circumcision, and they conclude that it's not necessary. All right? so, so probably and very likely, there's some connection there. Um, John the Baptist, John was not a Baptist, meaning that he went to a Baptist church, just so that you all know. I, I know that that's a struggle for some, but it literally means John the Baptizer, okay? It's like a, a, a baseball player, uh, you know, John the Pitcher or John the Catcher. This is John the Baptizer. So that's what he did. He, he went around baptizing people, and uh, he baptized them. We know that some things about John the Baptist, he was the forerunner of Christ, so his baptism was, was, in essence, to point people to Christ. And we know that John preached the baptism of repentance. In Matthew chapter number 3, the Bible says that when John was baptizing, the people were confessing their sins. And John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And as we come to Christ, we come to Christ in repentance, right? So it is, a, it is a, in many ways, a prerequisite to coming to Christ, Jesus Christ was the second one to baptize. John baptized, then Jesus baptized, and, um, and he baptized in, in, in a baptism of faith, a baptism of, of trust in him, a baptism of dependence on Christ. And then the last one is a, a commission to the church, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. The Bible says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, or go ye into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, for lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay? So baptism is, a, is, is also commissioned to the New Testament church. It's a, what we call an ordinance. Um, 
It's not something that makes us more righteous. It's not something that makes us more uh, a better, better person or better standing before God. All that stuff was accomplished in and through Christ. It is, uh, it is an identification with all of that. So that's the origin. Number two is what is the purpose of baptism? Okay, if you want to turn with me um, to Romans 6. What is the purpose of baptism? Okay, physical baptism is a... Physical baptism, which is what we're going to be expressing today, is, a, is an identification with a spiritual truth. Okay, So what God does is God, God, in, God in his sovereignty and, and, and his supremacy, God, has, God does a lot of things that are behind the scenes, right? And God does a lot of things that we don't see. And when he does the things that we don't see, he gives us a physical expression of those things so that we can then express those things through the Lord's Supper. We, we, we express the death burial in Christ through the Lord's Supper. We are uh, allowed to see that picture, that spiritual picture being brought to pass. We, ex- we see it in the baptism, the identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which is a, which is a reality for those who believe in Christ. Okay? In other words, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is my death, burial, and resurrection as well. In a spiritual sense, I have, become, I have been united with his death, burial, and resurrection by faith in what he has done. So I, I have been, become the beneficiary, the benefactor of what Jesus Christ did in his death, burial, and resurrection in salvation. Right? And I'm expressing that in the physical baptism and what we're about, to, we're about to experience here. So it is an identification. It is a visible proclamation of a spiritual truth. A church membership is another one of those spiritual truths that has an external picture. When we get saved, we all become a member of the universal church, the body of Christ, right? It's invisible. It's invisible. We can't tell who they are. You know, Spurgeon said, if, if every believer, God told me every believer had a yellow stripe down their back, I would go around and look at their backs to see if they were believers. So we know we're not marked by a yellow stripe, but we're marked by the gospel. This is why we go around and preach the gospel. And then we, become a, we believe the gospel, we become a part of God's church spiritually, invisibly, and then what does God do? He gives us a physical expression of it. He gives us an opportunity to display it. Let me give you another illustration. You'll love this one. Okay, Husbands, you are a picture of a spiritual relationship between Christ and his church. An invisible relationship. Wives, you are a picture of a spiritual relationship between Christ and his church. You are a visible expression of a spiritual truth. Right? Families, you are a spiritual, a physical expression of a spiritual, invisible truth. Man, you know, it really makes life so much more valuable and important and significant when we realize that we're not just living for ourselves, but we're living for this bigger picture. That God has a, a bigger plan. God is working out greater things than just what we see, feel, and touch. This is an expression of 
a symbolization, an identification with a spiritual truth. Okay, does that make sense? I've been baptized twice. No, let's just rephrase that. I've been baptized three times. Okay? Okay. Man, that's weird. All right, so let me explain it to you. I was baptized first when I thought I was a believer, but I wasn't, and I got baptized. Okay? I was baptized second when I became a believer. And what I mean by that is becoming a believer is baptism in a spiritual sense. It's what happens not here, but it's what happens here. It's when I become immersed into the life of Christ, when his death becomes my death. And it doesn't happen in water. It happens in my heart. His death became my death. His resurrection became my resurrection. And now the Bible says his life has become my life. This is not about water. This is about my heart. And listen, if it takes place here and doesn't, place it, doesn't take place here, I'm still going there. It's a baptism of the heart. It's I become one with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And I get to express that. I, get, I, get, I, don't, I don't have to. This is not, we're not doing something that these people have to do. Every one of them sees this as a privilege. It's an opportunity. It, this is a grace. Show your love for me by expressing to others what I have done for you. It's not like, you have to do this or else. God is not going to hit you on your head if you don't do this. It's a privilege. Listen, folks, the Christian life is not about do's and don'ts. It's about get-to's. It's about Jesus has done so much for me that I get to live for him. I don't have to. It's a, re it's a reflection, a representation. Remember, remember this. Salvation is a baptism of the heart. Salvation is a baptism of the heart. And my concern this morning, my challenge, my heart is not that you experience this baptism as much as you experience this baptism. That you come to know Christ. That you come to be one with his death, one with his resurrection, one with his new life, with his spirit. This is why we baptize by the name, in the name of the John, John, not John, Matthew 28. We baptize in the name of the Father in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Bible says that we're to preach repentance towards the Father and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ, and we experience the new life through whom? Through the Holy Spirit. All of the Trinity is at work in our salvation. We are baptized spiritually. We get to be baptized physically. So that's what they're expressing this morning. When these four folks come forward and they get baptized, they're expressing, they're expressing faith in Christ externally. And remember this, I'll say this to you, there are people who have been through that water that are still going there. There are people who haven't been through that water that are going there. You know why? 
Because the water doesn't matter. You know what does matter? This matters. This matters. Is Christ your Lord? Is Christ your Savior? Is Christ sufficient? Is his death, burial, and resurrection enough to cause you to be acceptable before God the Father? Do you have to add something to it? Are we adding to Christ's work this morning? No, we're expressing Christ's work this morning. It's beautiful. It's amazing that we have the opportunity to do this. Let me read some scripture to you to bring this to, uh, to, bring this to light. Romans 6. For what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Okay, right away. Forget about this right now. This is not baptized in the water into Christ's death. This is baptized in the heart into Christ's death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too should walk in newness of life. This is all about what takes place in your heart when you become a believer. Acts 2.38, many use this reference, and you don't need to turn there, but many use this reference to try to prove baptismal regeneration. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Compare it to Acts 3 and verse 19. It's almost the exact same verse. And one verse says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. The other one says, repent and be converted for for the remission of your sins. May I suggest to you that they're the same thing because it's talking about your heart. It's talking about what's going on in you, not what's going on in here. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Is that it? Or is this it? Are we baptized into the spirit? As a matter of fact, John even says, I baptize with... John says, I baptize with... But one who comes after me will baptize with... You get it. Makes sense, right? There's something new about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something different. It's not external things anymore, but now it's what? Now it's internal things. Now the heart matters. And yes, we get to express it, but, but God forbid those who express it when it's not true. And God's okay with those who don't express it when it is true. Remember, expressing it is a privilege. It's an honor. It never in God's word was something where they forced it on somebody. It's not there. It was always something that people wanted to do. Privilege. Galatians 3.27, For as many many of you as were baptized into into Christ have put on Christ. Spiritual or physical? Here's what he says in 1 Peter 3.21 and 22. Baptism which corresponds to this, now saves us. Okay, Baptism now saves us. I'm not telling you what my opinion is. That's exactly what it says. But don't stop there. Not the removal of the dirt of the body. What's he saying? 
Baptism now saves not the water baptism, but a clear conscience towards God, which takes place where? It's in the heart. It's the baptism of the heart that matters. Let me read on. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves us. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to them. Number three, I don't have a lot of time left, but I'm going to get through this. These are important. Why do we immerse? I'm not going to give you a lot on this. Why do we immerse? Why do we put them under the water? Because it's a picture of the gospel. That's one reason. The other reason is is because the word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse. It's one of those unique words when translated into the English Bible, instead of translating it, using the meaning and finding a word that fit it in the, new, in the English language, which is what a lot of the Bible did, they transliterated it. In other words, they made up a word that was close to the uh, original term. But the meaning of it is to, to immerse or submerse. And I will suggest this to you. This expresses what happened to me when I got saved. This expresses death, burial, and resurrection in Christ. This is the best picture that God decided to give us of expressing the death, totally being immersed into Christ. His life becomes my life. I don't want to spend a lot of time there, but, but that is why we immerse. We believe it's a great picture, God's picture, if you will, of the being immersed into Christ. Okay? And many people want to think of Christianity as, as uh, being, um, you know, holding on to Christ, holding on to the world, right? We're not there. We're all or nothing type of a church, amen? Good. I'm glad I got some amens on that one. (laughs) Number four, very quickly, what is the prerequisite to baptism? Go with me to Matthew 3. I'm going to read some scriptures to you. I, I really, I pray, I pray that you'll look at these scriptures with an open mind. I do. Um, because these are scriptures that clarify when a person should be baptized. And they're, and they're, not, they're, they're not ambiguous scriptures. They're not, they're not, they're not, there's not some kind of a secret message hidden within them. There's, they, they are so clear and so plain as to when a person should be baptized. What should take place before a person is baptized? Listen to what happens in Matthew 3. There's a group of Pharisees who come to Jesus to be, come to John the Baptist to be baptized. And John the Baptist is baptizing people uh, a baptism of what? Of repentance. In other words, John's baptism is, re- is a representation of repentance. Right? Okay? His baptism is a baptism of repentance. So there's a group of people who come to John and they want to be baptized and they haven't done what? They haven't repented. What does John the Baptist tell them? What does he tell them? You can't be baptized. You have not yet met the... Listen. You have not yet experienced on the inside what you're about to express on the outside. What do we call it when people express something on the outside that's not true on the inside? We call it hypocrisy. We call it deception, right? 
a lot of different words that don't fit into who our Lord and Savior is, but fit into who the devil might be, right? The Lord is not for math, 1 Corinthians 11 with the Lord's Supper. He gives a really clear explanation to say, don't take the Lord's Supper unless it's true about you on the inside. Don't express something on the outside that's not true about you on the inside. So John the Baptist says here in Matthew 3, you want to be baptized with the baptism of repentance, but you haven't repented yet? No. And he tells them this, go and show, I'm paraphrasing, go and show forth fruits that are meat, that are revealing of repentance. In other words, get the heart right. Get the heart right first and then follow through with the baptism or with the expression of it. I'm going to read to you now. Um, Acts 2 and verse 41, the Bible says, And those who received or gladly received his word were baptized, and there was added that day about 3,000 souls. And then Matthew 3, 7 and 8 again deals with the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to be baptized, and the Lord says that they have not repented. In Acts 8, 36 through 38, the Bible says, And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. This is the Ethiopian eunuch. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? And Philip says, If thou believe with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. What we see in every every event scripturally where there is baptism, there's always a set of requirements met prior to that baptism, prior to that expression of it. And in all reality, folks, again, this is great. We're glad, that, we're glad that those are going through this baptism today are going through it. But, but, man, so much more important, so much more significant is what's going on in your heart. This, this morning, what's going on in your heart? Have you experienced the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ personally as yours? Do you know him as your Savior and as your Lord. If you don't, my prayer for you, my heart for you, is that you, would, that you would ask the Lord, that you would plead with the Lord to give you the mercy and the grace to believe, to trust, to repent, and to follow him. If you're here this morning and you have been saved and you've never been baptized, I pray that this experience for you will be a wonderful thing, and I pray that it will motivate you to know, hey, listen, I have a great opportunity to outwardly express what Jesus Christ has done for me. And you can be a part of that, and you're going to be a part of it this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the grace that you give us each day to live life for your glory. We pray your blessing upon the remainder of, your, of this service. May it please you and honor you, and we give you the praise for it in Christ's name.